This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Our guest today is Caleb O'Dowd. He is a copywriter who was trained by Gary Halbert and their website is Multi-Channeling Marketing. Hello and welcome to the show, Caleb. How are you doing today? Hey, Aaron. I'm doing great. Thank you very much. And uh, what an honor it is to be on the show here. This is my first podcast. I hope I do well here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, in your childhood, you loved horses. Tell us about that. Horses, yeah. Gosh, that's, that was a long time ago. I uh, was a young child, maybe about seven or eight, and I got into horses. I've kind of gone through like such radical shifts in my life over the years but yeah when I was a young child I was very interested in horses and there was a beautiful farm about maybe 30 minutes away from where I lived I used to spend just literally every waking moment of my life out there training horses and riding horses and breeding horses and taking care of horses and just living a kind of a farm life The people that I was there with, though, they eventually moved over to America. And I guess at that stage, I had turned about 15, 16. And uh, my interests shifted from horses to girls. Now <laughs> <laughs> with my friends. And uh, that kind of finished up my experience with horses there. But secretly, I do have a wish and a, and a want and a desire to ultimately, later on in life, maybe have like a, a beautiful farm myself where I could raise some horses there. But uh, yeah, that's story with the horses. Did you get to travel to America as well? Yeah, I, when I was 14, I guess just before I finished up with training horses, I had an opportunity to go to North Carolina and train stead francais stallions. 
Mountains in North Carolina, which was a huge, huge opportunity for me, especially at such a young age. We were training like multi-million dollar stallions. They're like French stallions. They were quite crazy animals. And uh, there was an Egyptian guy that we were working for who was, you know, a billionaire and he had this massive stud farm. So it was a great opportunity. I was there for three months and had a blast. And, and I guess that was my final foray <laughs> into the horse world before I moved away from things. And after you left that, did you attend school or what happened after that? I was kind of a maybe an out-of-control teen. I wasn't really, let's call it, a good student. I would have had like a problem with authority. I would have had a problem with, you know, being told what to do by people that I didn't have much respect for. <laughs> didn't have uh, any interest in school, so I would have been kicked out of, of a couple of schools when I was a teenager. I actually ended up quitting school at 16. I crashed a, a motorbike and was quite badly damaged and spent about 12 months in bed recovering from a, from a motorbike accident. And I just never went back to school after that. My parents, I caused so much trouble, I guess, that they, they, they agreed to let me quit school because back in Ireland at the time, it was a major building boom taking place and the whole country was kind of in support of this building boom and there was just an explosion of jobs for tradesmen so my dad said look there's absolutely no way that you're leaving school and just hanging around and doing nothing so if you're going to leave school you're going to go straight into a trade and become a carpenter so I did that I quit school and I became a carpenter I did a four-year apprenticeship as a carpenter and then that kind of began the the second phase of my life, I went from horses to carpentry. <laughs> it's like a new career. And all the time while that was going on, you know, I was I was growing up in, in Limerick, Ireland, which at the time was, I guess, not such a great environment for kind of people my age, kind of teenagers my age. There was a lot of crime going on in Ireland. If anyone, if I, not in Ireland, Limerick, but if anybody knows the, the history of Limerick, there was terrible feuding going on in Limerick. And I was kind of growing up in that time where that feuding was going on between kind of criminal families and Limerick being such a small place. We ended up going to the same places and we even went to the same schools as a lot of these kids that were part of that feud. And, and there was just kind of a lot of trouble and a lot of hassle and drugs and violence and things going on in the city at that time and I can't say that I that I would have gotten terribly swept up in it but it was hard not to be a part of it like on, on the outskirts of what was going on there but I, I really have to thank my brother John who was in America at the time so while I was growing up while I was I was going through my apprenticeship as a carpenter John would have been sending me you know books and courses from America on like personal development and business and entrepreneurship and kind of introduced me to a whole other world of knowledge and education and honestly inspiration. He would send me books like Napoleon Hill. He would send me, you know, Think and Grow Rich was a pivotal book in my development as as a person and I guess ultimately as an entrepreneur. So John would send me these books, you know, Tony Robbins, <laughs> like Brian Tracy. I think I got a couple of books from Brian Tracy from him and just lots of kind of personal development books which kind of fed my, well, I won't say it fed me, it kind of opened up my eyes to the possibility that, wow, gosh, there's, there's a lot more to life that can be had than what it is that I've been given. There's a lot more out there for me than what I'm currently aware of. When I realized that, gosh, there's actually all of these possibilities out there in life, I became hugely inspired and very, very much motivated and 
And uh, it took a little bit of time. Even my mom was inside in that that whole process there. I remember she actually had to bribe me. <laughs> As I take back on it, though, she had to bribe me to listen to a Tony Robbins course, which ultimately uh, became a huge influence on me as well. And other books then from John, like from Wayne Dyer, you know, Manifest Your Destiny and all that kind of good stuff, just really opened my world up to a lot of possibilities in terms of what's out there. And I think that that is something that... I think schools should be doing and I, I guess I didn't really have that myself in school it was interesting I hated learning in school and then when I left school I became like just a, a prolific learner I became prolific in terms of what it is that I wanted to learn and I think that schools missed the point uh, at least in my humble opinion you know schools should be all about opening people's minds up to the possibilities that are out there, the, the goals that you can reach for, the things that, that intrigue you, that you want to attain. And that's what those books did for me. They kind of opened up the world to me and made me realize that, wow, even someone from Limerick, Ireland can go out there and take on the world and go get what it is that he wants. And I, I felt like I never got that from school. I, I felt like school had shut me down and limited me, had put me in a box that I couldn't see out of. That's why I think kind of reading books, you know, personal development books, business development books, on books on entrepreneurship, books on financial freedom, books on success, it kind of, at least just reading them opens up your world to a wide variety of, of new possibilities. And that's certainly what John did for me and, and certainly what my mother did for me. And I guess that was kind of the springboard then for everything else that, that kind of came my way thereafter. As a, a carpenter and getting these books shaping your mindset, tell us about being from carpentry to going to something like copywriting. I was working as a carpenter for a uh, for a very, very tough man. <laughs> His name was Mick Rogan and a very tough guy, but very fair and, and someone I had tremendous respect for. And I think I learned a lot from him that I haven't thoroughly kind of analyzed myself, but I certainly learned approaches to work from him that has carried me through in other areas of my life. But how did I go from a carpenter to meeting Gary Halbert? Yeah, I guess as, as I was saying, you know, John was filling my mind up with, with a world of possibilities there and it really became, you know, something that I became obsessive about. I became obsessive about learning and growing and becoming financially free and becoming successful. And, you know, John and I started talking a lot about this word lifestyle. You know, we started thinking about the type of life that we would want for ourselves because we were doing this process together, you know, over the phone and sometimes together when, when John will come back from America and hang out. I guess it just kind of became a natural fit then for us to decide to get into business together. John had a very good job in, in Dell computers and, you know, I was a carpenter, but even though I had just recently completed my apprenticeship and was now a qualified carpenter, by that stage I had realized, gosh, that path is certainly not for me, you know. By the time my apprenticeship had finished up, I had read too many books, <laughs> I had learned too many things, and I had too many ideas swimming around in my head and carpentry was no longer a path to achieving that. It was a wall that was preventing me from having that. And therefore I knew that carpentry had to go and I knew that an entrepreneurial path was the path for me. So John had just you know, finished up his contract with Dell. 
was moving home to Ireland and, and so the two of us decided, you know what, let's get into business together. Let's let's do something together. John was really the driving force behind everything really, you know, everything from the get-go. He was the person that put the, the seed of want and desire and the, the seed of achievement and everything into me and, and into us as a team, I guess. I think into the whole family, to be quite honest. We started looking into a variety of different kind of business models that would get us the type of lifestyle that we were looking for. Uh, we looked into kind of real estate investing. We looked into stocks, investing in stocks and options and, and all that kind of good stuff. We had started investigating like information publishing, like writing books and things like that. And ultimately we ended up with direct response marketing. We got into that simply because of kind of one concept and that was that you could create an automated customer sales and profit generation system that could and would run itself practically on autopilot and would bring in, as I said, customer sales and profits 24-7 even while you sleep. That kind of hooked us and pulled us in. And one of the, the skills that you need to acquire in order to execute one of those uh, business models and one of those businesses is copywriting. So what is copywriting? Copywriting is the art of creating a message designed to sell your product. That message can come in the form of, of a variety of different forms. I mean, today there's so many different forms of copywriting, so many different ways in which you can sell your products. You can sell over email, you can sell on television, via radio, in the newspapers, direct mail, online, via video sales letters. I mean, the list just goes on and on and on and on in terms of methods the channels in which you can get in contact with prospects and sell them has become vast. We both started to realize, hey, copywriting is going to become, you know, something uh, that's going to be very much needed in our business. So I started looking into copywriting and I started to become very interested in it. I started to enjoy the process of learning about it. And I, I think John did not. So it, it, it became apparent that I was interested in this and John was not interested in this. John was interested in other aspects of the business. And around that same time, we had been both very well read and re-read on uh, Napoleon Hill and this idea of mentorship and masterminding and, and all that kind of good stuff. And I think it was John who talked about mentorship a lot and talked about the need for mentorship. It was John that said, hey, you know what? We need to get you a mentor on copywriting. It was actually John that introduced me to Gary Halbert's newsletter. And for those people who have no idea who Gary Halbert is, Gary Halbert is, you know, he's since passed away, but very much was one of the greatest direct response marketers and advertisers and copywriters probably in the history of the world. He's certainly up there as one of the most influential figures in that industry, you know, since day one. He had a newsletter called The Gary Halbert Newsletter, and John actually printed out some of his newsletters which were online, brought him over to the house and was like, hey, you gotta read this guy, he's, he's awesome, he's great, he's crazy, you know, check him out. So I started reading some of his newsletters and I was just completely swept off my feet, you know. He just had a writing style, an attitude, a personality that was so full and so colorful and was just such an engaging guy and, you know, I, he just literally swept me off my feet. So I had finished reading Napoleon Hill where he talked about some a story about Thomas Edison where a guy wanted to come and work with Thomas Edison and he sent 
Thomas Edison, the great inventor, the guy who invented the light bulb and all that kind of good stuff, he had sent him a letter and said, "Hey, Tom, I want to come and uh, I want to come and work with you." You know, and Thomas Edison politely replied back, "You know, I don't have a position for you right now. Thank you very much." And this guy just never gave up. He just sent like a letter every single day, just one letter after another, after another, after another, after another. And essentially, like, look, you know, the message was, I want this job. I want to come and work for you. I'll do anything. Just put me anywhere in the company. I just want to come and work with you. So for a finish, Thomas Edison just stopped writing back. You know, you can only be so polite for so long, and he just stopped writing back. Well, turns out the guy like turned up at his door. The guy like sold his car or his home or whatever it was back then. I don't remember the story exactly. Got onto a train, traveled all the way across the country, and just essentially knocked on Thomas Edison's door and said, "Hey, I'm here. I'm ready for the job." You know. So the lesson was never give up in terms of what it is that you want, and oftentimes your enthusiasm for the job. Will get you the job when other people more qualified will not get the job. Like I mean, it's you know a lot of people, and I find this as well even in our business today. Someone who's hungry, someone who really really wants it, it's a very very infectious thing. It's a very very good thing to have on the team. Somebody might be more qualified, but they don't have the desire, they don't have the drive, they don't have the enthusiasm, they're not hungry, they don't want it as bad. Somebody who's really, really hungry and wants it—it's hard to turn that person away. So I decided, hey, you know what? I can drive someone crazy. I'm pretty good at that, you know. So I'll just contact Gary Halbert and ask him to mentor me. And if he says no, I'm just never going to give up. <laughs> just gonna—I'll send him faxes. I'll send him. FedExes. I'll send him letters. I'll send him emails. I'll call him, and that's to make a, a long and drawn-out story short. That's exactly what I did. I essentially drove him crazy. I, you know, I just called him and called him and left message after message and spoke to his assistant, drove her insane, and literally made the guy crazy until, for a finish, he essentially told me he's like, "Look, kid." He was like 66 when I met him. He was a grumpy old 66-year-old man when I met him, but he was like, "Listen, kid, you're driving me crazy. So here's here's my offer. You can either take this offer, or else never contact me again." So my offer is, send me a check for nineteen thousand dollars and come to Miami, and I'll work with you for three weeks. At the end of three weeks, you're gone. I'm like, you know, you gotta leave. I never want to hear from you. I never want to see you again. And I said okay, and hung up the phone, and immediately, <laughs> like, freaked out. I didn't have 19 euros in my pocket, let alone 19 thousand dollars. So I spoke to John, and John was like, "How did it go?" <laughs> so I said, "Look, he, you know, he gave us this offer, and it's for 19 thousand dollars, and it's three weeks, and yada yada yada." And John was like, "Wow, that's crazy." He was like, "Look, let me have a think about that, and we'll talk again in a couple of days." John went ahead and did something that I think, you know, upon reflection, was just—I don't know—it was just an absolutely courageous, massively <laughs> risky, and all sorts of, of craziness there. But he went and remortgaged his house. To get the money, uh, the nineteen thousand 
dollars to send Gary for my training. You know, as I as I said, as I think about it even now, it's, it was such a crazy thing to do. But I think that that's you know the entrepreneurial spirit at play. Entrepreneurs take risks. Entrepreneurs are bold. Entrepreneurs do things that scare the living crap out of the normal person, you know, who would never do it. That's what John did, and thus began the next phase in in my life, which was becoming a copywriter. I I flew to Miami. I'm a 20 year old kid from Ireland with a thick, thick Irish accent. Flew straight into Miami. It was like another universe. It was like I just I had moved to another planet. It was such a massive shift for me. And I I met uh, a guy who absolutely altered the course of our destiny, altered the the course of my life, and put me on a track that has led me to places that I could have never absolutely fathomed uh, as a teenager. But yeah, I met I met Gary Gary C. Halbert, the the great legendary Gary C. Halbert, who, as I said, was a 66 year old grumpy <laughs> man who was insulting and very difficult to live with and took tremendous pleasure in humiliating me <laughs> in public especially in front of girls my own age and yet at the same time became my best friend one of my closest confidants and and absolutely my mentor and guide and three weeks turned into three years and I ended up living with him I ended up living in his apartment and and for three years it was just copywriting marketing advertising business he guided john and i and mentored john and i and in getting into our first business which was a health business again totally opposite of what we would have ever imagined (laughs) and then we just we just kind of grew from there that was where it all kind of sprang from in terms of our entrepreneurial career and since then we have morphed into a variety of, of, of different things. It's hard for me to say that I'm a copywriter these days. I've kind of taken on so many new roles that I, I don't really consider myself a hardcore copywriter. I mean, there's copywriters who that's all that it is that they do and they're copywriters. I think my role has significantly changed since then. I've moved into kind of a teacher, a consultant, role these days more so than anything and probably a deal maker do a lot of deals these days with a lot of different people in our business and our business has certainly grown and morphed and we've got employees now and and yeah wow um with being with gary you know you got to read his articles and you were discovered that he was going to be your mentor but living with him what awed you or amazed you while he was teaching you yeah, you know, I, I get asked, well, not so much these days, but I used to get asked a lot from people because he was very famous, you know, within the industry. And I used to get asked all the time, like, what is the, the biggest secret that, like, he shared with you? I learned as much about life and people from Gary as I did about business and marketing and advertising and entrepreneurship. I learned a lot about, yeah, just just people and life. You know, we would talk a lot. 
you know, he was, uh, as I said, he was uh, like a 66-year-old uh, guy, would talk a lot about his past, would talk a lot about the people that he had met, the experiences that he had, you know, the ups, the downs, the trials and tribulations that he had. And, and I guess at, at 20 years of age, hungry for, for success and all that kind of stuff, I, I would lap it up. <laughs> I would listen to everything that he had to say. And, and he used to say a lot, you know, <laughs> and, and we used to have kind of, I don't know, we were just always talking, you know, he was, he was just always talking. I was always listening and I would ask him questions. So, I mean, it, it wasn't all marketing and business. There was an awful lot of him sharing his life him sharing his his problems his ups his downs his trials and tribulations as i said i learned a lot you know and a lot of things amazed me about the type of life that he had and you know the type of person that he was and the experiences that he had he had made fortunes like fortunes you know and had absolutely no respect for money he would buy Rolls Royce cars and just give them away to friends. At one stage, he had the most expensive house ever sold in in Beverly Hills. <laughs> you know, one of the richest neighborhoods in the planet was just a, a guy that was capable of generating tremendous wealth and riches, and yet never really cared so much about money. Would make it all and quickly, like he would he would give it away or lose it as as quickly as he would make it. But he was that type of person that never really cared about holding on to it because he could always make it whenever he wanted it. And I always thought that was made him such a fascinating character to me that like he he was capable of generating vast quantities of money and yet could lose it as quick and could lose it without worry knowing that he could generate it again anytime he wanted and I just thought that made him just a fascinating character but I guess in terms of marketing and advertising and business and, and entrepreneurship he taught me how to think you know which is kind of like a boring answer because everybody wants to take the secrets and the, the trick and the tactic and the technique and stuff like that for you know for generating a lot of money really quickly but the reality is very few self-made millionaires get rich quick. I would say more than nine out of 10. I would say like closer to like 9.9 .9 out of 10 entrepreneurs get rich slowly over time. He instilled in me an understanding that it's 90% of success is how you think, how you approach business and how you approach generating customers and how you approach making money. 90% of it is, is how you think, like what you believe. It's your perspective on things. You know, you can look at the same thing and have many different perspectives on it. And some of those perspectives will serve you and others will not. So that's what I kind of learned from him. I learned how to think about business. I learned how to think about marketing. I learned how to think about advertising. He gave me kind of foundational and conceptual thinking processes ways of thinking, perspectives on things, beliefs, gave me habits that ultimately have allowed me to pretty much get into any type of direct response business model and make it successful. John and I over the years have done such a wide variety of, of business in such a wide variety of ways. And at the core of why we're able to do that is what it is that Gary taught us about how to look at things, how to perceive things, how to approach things, 
he was a master of launching businesses across an unlimited number of industries. He could pretty much sell anything to anybody under any circumstance, <laughs> which is like, uh, you know, so I, I was in awe of that. And together with him, he and I launched many different businesses with me being his apprentice, his protege, his student. I guess I got to witness that, I got to experience it, I got to live it, and ultimately I got to apply it myself. And I think as I look back on it, that's what I was most amazed with uh, or about in terms of, of, of Gary Halbert. He was, Gary could sell snow to Eskimos. He'd figure out a way to do that. And he'd figure out a way of making millions and millions and millions of dollars doing it, you know? <laughs> He was a genius. He was a genius in the sense that, that all geniuses are, are geniuses. He was very uniquely and highly skilled at this one area and pretty much everything else in his life was a disaster. <laughs> you, know, you know, he could touch something with his left hand and turn it to gold and touch it with his right hand and it would explode. You know, he was that type of person. Massive amounts of success and chaos <laughs> followed him everywhere he went and he was just such a colorful guy such a such a great guy yeah he was he was you know he was just an amazing guy i mean when i think back on him sometimes i get emotional thinking about him he passed away unexpectedly in his sleep which is a nice way to go no one was expecting him to pass away but he just lay down on his sofa one evening and just passed away. It was it was a uh, it was a uh, quite a shock. Living with a genius that you explained, did it kind of make you think about the foundations and construction of newspaper ads and copywriting that he was teaching you? Yeah, Gary taught people how to sell. You know, and launched businesses for people. He was a coach, he was a consultant, he was a copywriter, he was a teacher. You know, he was a lot of different things. So John and I essentially kind of got our start in direct mail. He taught uh, John and I how to sell in direct mail, and we did that for many years. He would have also taught us how to do newspaper advertising, which is a very unique skill and a very lucrative one. John and I have done that for, for quite some time, but all of the same strategies, tactics, formulas, conceptual thinking, perspectives, beliefs, knowledge, know-how, you know, that causes you to be successful in those channels also causes you to be successful when selling on the radio, when selling via magazines, when selling on the internet, when selling on TV. And he had a very high, you know, conceptual understanding, a genius level conceptual understanding of, of, of just how to sell So yeah, we, we, we got that from him and, and we've been applying it, as I said, across just a wide variety of channels in the businesses that we have and all. Did you get to meet other people that have been taught by Gary Halbert? Yeah, I met quite a few. I guess the most uh, influential person that also trained with Gary in my life is, is someone that I like to call my, my brother from a Jewish mother. His name is Sam Markowitz. Sam has become not only one of my best friends in the world, but, but somebody who is also our John and I's business partner. And Sam is uh, just a, a great, great conceptual thinker, great marketer, great advertiser, 
and uh, and he's become our business partner as well. So yeah, um, Sam Markowitz. You mentioned that newspaper ads are a very unique uh, way of selling, but why is it so unique? Well, there's a few reasons why it's so unique. This would, would bring up a very deep marketing conversation, though, <laughs> which I'm trying <laughs> to get into. If you have an ad that works, if you have an ad that you run, like in, let's just say, three or four newspapers in America, and it's profitable, chances are it will be profitable across three or four hundred newspapers. And therefore, the ease at which you can make a lot of money in advertising in that particular space is, is amazing. Advertising in a lot of other areas these days, such as the internet, can be very complicated. But advertising in the newspapers is very simple. You call up the newspaper and you pay them to, to run your ad. And we create what's called large display ads. They, are, they take up a half of a full page in the newspaper. So it's quite a large ad. It's quite a large ad. So we pay them to run our ad. They run and people call in and order our product. And if that's profitable, then all you got to do is call up more newspapers. So the ability to generate customer sales and profits and a lot of them in the newspapers is quite simplistic in its application. And there's just, you know, there's like, in our specific industry, it's about 900 newspapers. If each one of those newspapers returns you a profit, well, then you have 900 newspapers that can do the same for you. So it, it can just be a very simplistic business model and it can be a very lucrative opportunity if you know how to do it right. And thankfully, we got that knowledge from Gary. You've probably read so many newspaper ads over your time. What, which ones are you in, in amazement? Uh, pretty much a lot of Gary's newspaper ads are, are absolutely incredible. He, he launched so many businesses in the newspapers that did so well. There was um, you know, a company out there that like literally were nothing. They went from zero to $100 million in two years with a single newspaper ad that Gary wrote. Still to this day, I think it's one of the, the greatest newspaper ads maybe ever written in history. So they went from a from zero, no sales, no customers, no profits, to a hundred million dollars in two years. So I mean, certainly that would be <laughs> an ad that would, you know, would awe and amaze me. And there's just several more of his that he has written over the years that are just profound in, in the strategy that was used, the, the tactics that were used and employed in those ads to, to make them successful. I don't know who the most famous sportsman in the world is, is, is today, but, you know, he would have been certainly the Tiger Woods of his industry back when Tiger Woods was, was the number one guy in his industry. So, Do you view copywriting and direct response as an art of selling yeah it is an art yeah it's an art it is like painting is an art like martial arts is an art yeah it's it is an art it's it's an art it's a science it's very deep it's a skill for sure maybe one of the most valuable skills that you can have in the world um, at least one of them and they say that if you want to generate tremendous value for yourself in life, you must first develop a skill that makes you valuable to others. And the value that you receive is equal to the value that you provide. And 
the value that you provide as a copywriter can be tremendous. It is at its essence persuasion. So you can persuade people to do anything. I use it to persuade people to buy products that, that really can improve their lives and improve their quality of life. But a lot of people use persuasion for a lot of different things, but it is persuasion. And used honorably, ethically, morally, it is one of the most valuable skills that you can have in life. Yeah, I think copywriting is, is, is a huge skill. It is a huge art, it is a huge science. You know, in the same way martial arts is, it can, it can be something that is good to know, or you can dedicate your entire existence to it. It moves into different areas of your life. It can move into your relationships. It can move into your friendships, your relationships with your girlfriend or boyfriend or wife or husband, your kids. It is essentially persuasion. Wow. So I think it's a huge valuable skill. It's science because it's measured. You can measure it. You can measure the impact. You know, you can provide a stimulus and get a reaction that can be measured. As an example, you can create a headline in a newspaper ad. You can create a second headline for the same newspaper ad and you can measure the impact that both of those headlines have in terms of sales. One headline may not bring you back any profit at all. It may cause you to lose money and another headline may cause you to make a lot of profit and because the impact of that test can be measured it's considered a science it's the science of human psychology it's the science of persuasion it is the science of motivation um, it is the science of selling. So it's a science because it can be measured. The impact of, of the sales copy that you create can be measured. And it's all based on human psychology, which is a science in and of itself. When you sit down to write a, a letter, how do you uh, prepare the wordsmith to get into the psychology of the, the, the human mind? Oof, Aaron, that's a that's a 10-hour conversation. There. <laughs> okay. It, I mean, look, you need to first of all understand that there's there's frameworks, there's formulas, there's strategies, but it all stems from understanding the hopes, wants, wishes, fears, needs, frustrations, and desires of who it is you're talking to. If you understand what's causing somebody pain, whether it's emotional, physical, mental, spiritual, whatever form of pain. If you understand what's causing that person pain, and if you understand what's frustrating that person about that pain, and then you understand what it is that that person ultimately wants, and, and your product is the answer, is the solution, it's just a matter of presenting that product in a way that conveys this product is exactly the solution to your pain. It will get rid of that frustration and it will give you exactly what it is that you want. If you can do that, people will obviously buy. So it's about starting from the perspective of who your prospect is, what's going on in his or her life, and what's their pain, what's their problem, what's their frustration, and what's their wants and wishes. So it's, you know, it's about starting there, but it's also like a cake. There's many layers. What I just talked about is kind of maybe the, the ingredients, 
But once you have the ingredients, which you can't have a cake without them, then it's about kind of layering things in on top of, of one another. But all good selling is just a conversation between two people. It's a conversation that boils down to a series of like questions that people have about what it is that you're selling. And if you can answer those questions in the right sequence, then you'll give people exactly what it is that they need to be excited uh, about your product and want to buy. I mean, that is a, <laughs> that's like a, uh, as short an answer as I can give you about a topic that, that is just extremely deep. With the advancement of the internet today, do you see the newspaper as a, a dying uh, form of media f through what you do? All media are ultimately dying. All media are ultimately dying, I think. They're all going to be replaced with, you know, like a few years ago, Facebook didn't exist. Well, now Facebook's one of the biggest channels on the planet. A few years ago, YouTube didn't exist. Now YouTube is one of the biggest channels on the planet. So it's, a, it's not a, a case of like, you know, will they always be around? It's, it's more like how long will they be around for? Because the world is now changing at such a rapid speed that we're in a constant state of change. You know, I'm 34 years of age. I never switch on the TV. You know, I'll, I'll watch a movie every now and again, or else I'll, I'll watch YouTube. And a lot of people are in the same boat. You know, the, the quantity of people that are kind of like TV watchers, that are like hardcore TV watchers, statistically speaking, has plummeted. Absolutely. So TV's on the way out. At least TV as we know it is on the way out. Newspapers, like as we know it, has been on the way out for 20 years, and yet it's still here. Direct mail has been on the way out again for like 20 years, and it's still here. So they thought radio was going to be out, like they thought podcast was going to kill radio. Um, and for a long time, it did, but radio made a huge comeback. Um, so radio is like, again, I don't think radio is going anywhere for quite some time, but it'll ultimately be on the way out. You know, Facebook and Google and YouTube, pretty much that's what rules the roost these days. Facebook, YouTube and, and Google are pretty much where all advertisers are, are focused. I would say a good 80% of advertisers are focused there these days. But newspapers is still a big opportunity. You can still make massive quantities of money as, you know, an advertiser in the newspapers. I don't know when it's going to end. I don't foresee it ending for quite some time. Um, but yeah, I would say ultimately it's on the way out. I'd say direct mail is ultimately on the way out. I'd say TV as we know it is ultimately on the way out. And I think the whole world has already moved on to the internet, but I think more and more and more, you know, when the people who are currently 50, 55, like when that generation kind of passes on, I think the whole world is going to be on the internet. We're probably looking at another, you know, 20 years, 25 years maybe of these like kind of, let's call them conventional channels, newspapers, radio, direct mail, TV. I think those conventional channels probably going to disappear sometime within that time frame, I would say. And, and then it's just the whole world is going to be on the internet. As a Copywriter whose skills were in direct response and with the, the change slowly coming, do you have to upgrade your skills and does the foundations of what you learn the art of selling, does, does that still apply to these new technologies? 
Yeah, absolutely it applies. The delivery of your message changes, but what makes advertising effective today is exactly what made advertising effective a hundred years ago, a thousand years ago and beyond because it's based on human psychology. So while culturally things can change um, and socially things can change, psychologically things rarely change and it's all based on human psychology. So we all have health problems and we all have emotions wrapped up around those health problems. Well, that's never going to change. You know, we all have a need to form relationships and we all have problems and frustrations associated with those relationships. Well, that's never going to change. You know, we all as a population have families. We have kids and we have problems, trials and tribulations associated with having kids. Well, that's never going to change. Human psychology is at the core of selling and advertising and that never changes. But how you deliver your message, whether it be through radio, TV, newspapers, Facebook, yeah, the delivery of the messages can change and that's fine, but the psychology never changes. Human beings don't change so much. If you ever read the Bible, I mean, essentially at the core, all of those problems that people were having, you know, in the Bible and, and the stories, I mean, they're all relevant to us today. Why is the Bible still the most read book on the planet? It's because, you know, it speaks to us today. The reason why it speaks to us is because it's all based on human psychology. It's, you know, the, the, the issues, the problems that, that people were having in that book are exactly the same issues and problems that people are having today. It's because it's all based on human psychology. The last number of years you've been a writer and now you're you're coming into a teacher. How was that uh, transition feeling for you at that time? I don't know. You know, I, I can say this, that I never really wanted or intended to become a teacher. And yet Gary told me that if you ever want to take your knowledge, skill, and expertise to a much higher level. Teach. And I can vouch for that being a true strategy for, for increasing your knowledge, expertise, and savvy. Because in order for me to teach what it is that I've been doing for the past 13 years to people, I've had to really take it out of the realm of intuition and into the realm of it being systematized and formulated and in doing so i have taken my own knowledge and my own understanding and my own expertise to a much greater level so i have grown significantly in my ability to in my knowledge level my skill level and in my expertise I've grown significantly as a teacher and it's also quite a rewarding experience at times other times it can be not so rewarding but it is quite a rewarding experience to share something with somebody and then stand back and see them go forth and 
and flourish <laughs> as people. You know, I'm thinking of one guy in particular, you know, who John and I shared, you know, quite a bit of knowledge with and and he's gone forth and, and has just transformed his life as a result of it. And I kind of keep kind of keep examples of like that close to my heart because I think that it's great to be able to share something like that with somebody and just, just see them go through such a, a massive personal life transformation. So, yeah, it, it's very personally rewarding and very rewarding as well to, to see the results that some of my students get. You know? Have you changed any of your methods while teaching? Let me just kind of clarify the type of teaching that I do. You know, I'm not a qualified teacher. I've never took a teaching course, you know. I have achieved something that others want to achieve. So I give people the opportunity to come and have me teach to them what it is that I've been doing. I don't know if I have teaching methods or teaching strategies. It's more about, hey, here's what I've done. Here's how you can do it too. I'm here to help you in whatever way you need me. So I don't really have, you know, teaching skills, but I have received tremendous compliments. And I think that the reason why I get complimented a lot is because I feel like, you know, when I went to Gary, I had my head filled with all of these kind of crazy wants and desires and dreams. I was a young testosterone fueled 20 year old kid from Ireland and he was 66. <laughs> you know what I mean? So he was a lot more seasoned than me and was able to look at me from a vastly different perspective than I was looking at myself. But one of the things that he told me was, you won't get what you want from me, but you will get what you need. And what you need, you're not currently aware of actually what it is that you need. That always stuck with me. What people want and what people need are two very different things. I may want a Ferrari, but what I really need is the mindset needed to be a successful entrepreneur so that the Ferrari comes as a side effect of that. I guess I kind of take pride in myself in terms of giving people what it is that they need and not what it is that they want. And when people understand that you're there for their better good, even if it means that you have to ruffle their feathers sometimes, they seem to become very bonded to me and very trustful of me. And I receive a lot of respect and admiration as a result of taking that approach with people, which is, you know, I'm gonna serve your higher good even if that means I got to ruffle your feathers here in terms of giving you what you need, but not necessarily what you want. What you want is a byproduct of what you need. And I'm here to give you what you need. And I think that that comes across as very genuine. And I think the world is missing people who are genuine. A lot of people, you'll ask them, hey, how are you? And even if they feel terrible that day, they'll tell you, yeah, everything's good. I'm good. I'm good. How are you? In other words, they're not really being genuine. You know, when you come across someone who really is genuine, people tend to appreciate that and gravitate towards those people. And I, I, I would like to think, <laughs> I'm sure there's plenty of people out there to think I'm an awful teacher. I would like to think that that's maybe a method, if there is a method that I kind of bring to the table there, which is I do want to serve people's higher good. I do want to give people what they need and not what they want. I want to serve people in a manner that sees them ultimately 
being successful for themselves as opposed to just me turning up and being a teacher and not really caring about what it is that they, they get in return, which is kind of what I felt like school was for me. I would kind of turn up, teachers would just stand at the top of the classroom and just do their job and not really care about the students, not really give a damn. And I think that that rubs off, you know, it rubbed off on me so badly that I had no respect for those people, had no respect for school and wanted to quit. So yeah, I don't know <laughs> if that's a good answer there for you, but uh, I guess that would be the, the method that I have if I have a method at all, which is to just be real with people, be honest with them, not try to present myself in, in a manner that, that, that disconnects with my students, but rather makes me human, makes me real. I try my best to give them what it is that they need, not what it is that they really want, because you can get tangled up on wants, but if you focus on what you actually need to receive, what you need to get done, what you what needs to happen, then the wants come naturally from that, if it makes sense. Caleb, what's in store for you and where can we find you? I don't know. Um, John and I have several businesses that we work on. Uh, we're starting a new business called the Institute for Entrepreneurship, where, you know, we're essentially going to help mold and, and form the, the next generation of entrepreneurs. We want to really give them everything that they need to be successful. I mean, the, the failure rates for entrepreneurs is, is massive. I think it's something like eight out of 10 new businesses fail in the first 12 months and 50% of, of the remaining 20% fail in the first five years. So uh, if my math is correct, and it's probably not, it's like one in 10 businesses are in business five years after being started, which is incredibly low number. We plan to to change that, we plan to give people the knowledge, the experience, the mindset, the beliefs, the habits, the strategies, the systems, the techniques that makes sure that they do succeed and that they are successful and are, are on course and, and live in their best lives. So Institute for Entrepreneurship is our next big, big uh, project where we're really looking to shape the next generation of entrepreneurs. So I guess that's where people can find me. <laughs> <laughs> Caleb, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for your time. Aaron, such a pleasure. Thank you. I really appreciate it. And, and that's it. Thank you very much. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen 
premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.